after a uh, somewhat lengthy hiatus, and uh, you joined us last week, you know why, and uh, so here we are in John chapter uh, 8, picking up our story, and we start and end in verse 12. Here we are, John 8, verse 12, and this is God's word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you are old uh, lounge lizards from back in the day, and you remember when I was in the Deltones, and who saw the Deltones back in the day? Wow, look at, you know, less and less are alive every year. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I used to play in this local band, and uh, there, it, was, it was before casinos, and so, you know, local band scene was real hot, and Captain Bilbo's, if you, anybody remembers Captain Bilbo's, we used to play Captain Bilbo's, we played on Beale Street a lot, we were the house band at Alfred's for a couple years, and Boogie Rock Cafe, which is now where the Bayou Grill is on, in Midtown, we played that thing for two or three years. Um, but anyway, one of the crazy things about playing club dates is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work uh, starting at 10 p.m., and you get up for your last hour-long set at 2 a, or, you know, 1 a.m., and you finish at 2 a.m., uh, and there's always one dorky couple out there that's, you know, they're the only ones left. They're like, we're going to be with you the whole night. And you're like, please go home so we can go home. But no, we're with you the whole time. But, and so there's always somebody there that keeps you till 2 in the morning. And at 2 in the morning, when you're done, then you have to load equipment. And you're all hot and sweaty from moving equipment. And it's uh, 2.38 in the morning. And you know what it feels like? 5 p.m. Feels just like 5 p.m. Feels like you just got off of work and you're all kind of jacked up and the kitchen is kind enough to drop a few chicken fingers in the grease for you. And, uh, you know, you're unwinding with your friends and you're trying to, you know. Um, and it's, I remember thinking, and this is not, this is not uh, an issue of, of health. I remember sitting there thinking one time, it was like 3 in the morning and I'm hanging out and it's dark out. And I, I, I was like, this feels normal. But it's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. And that's no knock against people who have night jobs. A lot of people have night jobs or night shifts and stuff like that. But uh, I am just, I, I'm starting that way to say this. <clears throat> day is day. Night is night. <laughs> there are two distinct sections of, um, of our lives. You can't see things in the darkness, but you can see things in the light. In the darkness, you grope around. In the light, Things are revealed. I mean, very simple principles. Light shows all because by its very nature, it dispels darkness. When light enters darkness, darkness starts to vanish. Now, there are two notable things about this verse, um, and you you can tell that we're just doing one verse here. Um, First of all, there's so much significance in what Jesus is saying here that it's very easy just to isolate it as one verse and take it rather than in a big block of an historical narrative. A lot of things are being said in this one verse, and so I think it's a, um, a, a good thing to just isolate it and look at it. Um, and I'll tell you this too. You know, people say this about Dr. Young. If you've been with Dr. Young on Wednesday nights and it took, it took you know, 15 years to get through Romans and it took forever to get through Galatians, and people go, well, that's just how he does it. Dr. Young could take, blah, blah, blah. listen, um, if you are teaching through a doctrinal epistle, 
you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Corinthians, Romans, um, you know, the Timothys, Titus, Philemon, not Hebrews so much, but James, um, the Peters, John, Jude. If you're teaching through a doctrinal epistle, guess what? You go slow because there's so much packed in there uh, that, you, that you want to uh, not rush through it. You want to examine everything. It's an articulation of the gospel. It's pulling in all of the scriptures and, and saying what the gospel is and how it's all fulfilled in Jesus. And so if you're teaching a doctrinal epistle, you take a long time. If, however, you're teaching through, say, Genesis or 1 Kings or something like that or Ruth, um, now you're in an historical narrative, and you're reading large blocks of verses because it's a story. You just don't take a tiny bit of it. You know, I remember going to a, a, a Christian businessman's lunch years ago, and the guy, the guy got up and uh, he goes, all right, we're going to read our verse today. He goes, and if, he says, let's talk about ifs today. Well, if you're going to do that, you can make the Bible say anything you want. <laughs> There's no context. We're going to talk about ifs. The Bible's not teaching about ifs. It's got to have a context. All to say, the Bible is broken into literature, and when you're in uh, an historical narrative, there's typically stories, and it's a block of verses. All to say, suddenly you've got this verse that's, that's in, in a way different um, than other verses, and uh, it, it behooves us to stop for a second. The other prominent thing about this verse is that it is one of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Jesus makes seven I am statements about himself. Um, and one commentator I was reading, I just, I kind of like this. He said, it's a kind of pocket guide to understanding Jesus. You know, if you ask somebody on the street, what do you think about this Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Well, I think Jesus is this. Well, I think Jesus is this. You ask Christians who they think Jesus is. Well, I think Jesus is probably this, and Jesus is probably this, and well, maybe this is Jesus is this. Well, we better get the right Jesus, the real Jesus. And a great way to start is to look at the I am statements. Jesus says, I am this. Uh, that seems like a pretty good way to get to know somebody, to, uh, to get to know something. Um, um, in uh, chapter 6, um, three times, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, he says twice in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He says um, a couple times in chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. He says in chapter 11, uh, excuse me, 10 also, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Those are very powerful proclamations uh, that don't let you, let you craft Jesus into some little buddy uh, of your choosing. He says, I am this. And listen, listen to some of those things. And when he says, when he says um, I am the door of the sheep, he's saying, hey, there's one way in, and I am it. That's a pretty big statement to say about yourself. How about, um, I am the good shepherd. If you're a sheep in my fold... I'm the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm not one of the good shepherds. I'm the good shepherd. Ain't no other fold legitimate except mine, and I'm the door, and I'm the shepherd. Pretty powerful. Uh, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, you mean uh, there are those who die, 
those who are spiritually dead, those who experience uh, separation from God. Uh, yeah, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. How about that one? If you're attached to me, you're living, and you're going to be okay when you stand before this God. If you're not attached to me, you're a dried-up stick, and you're dead. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty big. Jesus is saying, I am these things, um, very, very powerful things. Um, and so our big message today is this, Jesus illuminates everything. He says, I am the light of the world. That's a big statement, but in no way is it an overstatement uh, in understanding who Jesus was and what he came to do, who he thought he was, what he came to do. And that's the great challenge in the offer of the gospel. Um, you have in your own power absolutely nothing to offer the God of heaven. You've got nothing. You've got nothing of, of moral worth. Um, you know, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Ephesians 5 and Luke 16, sinner and child of darkness are used as synonyms. Sinner and child of darkness. And Jesus' exclusive claim is this. If you believe in me, Jesus, then you're going to be okay before God. If you don't believe in me, then you're not going to be okay before God. And that is not bigoted. That is not mean-spirited. That is not closed-minded. Uh, it is an offer for all who will hear. If you receive this Jesus, then you are going to be okay before the one true God. If you don't receive this Jesus... You're not going to be okay, and all other religious systems are faulty and lies, all of them. That's Jesus' claim. All right, let's go to our first point of three, the light of the world. It says in verse 12, uh, again, Jesus spoke to them, uh, saying, I'm the light of the world. But it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, and you know from my comments last week that I believe this verse comes on either the heels of um, the Feast of Booths, which starts in chapter 7. There's a big feast going on. It's a feast of the harvest, all right? So when the harvest is brought in, everything's done, they go, oh, good, we're not going to starve, uh, and we've got food for the winter, and they have a big celebration. It's a week long, and uh, that's the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Big celebration, uh, and that's where we left off. And in that big celebration, um, it says that... Uh, um, at one point in verse 31, it says of chapter 7, many of the people believed in him. And then it goes on to say in uh, verse uh, 34 and following, uh, excuse me, 43 and following, um, there was a division among the people over Jesus. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And then the response of the people uh, was, was thus in verse 40 of chapter 7, uh, the people heard these words. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this really is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? And so people are listening to Jesus and they're hearing these claims. Some believe, some don't, but they're understanding his claims. That's my point. They're understanding his claims. When he says, I'm the light of the world, um, they're getting what he's saying. They're getting that he's not just going, I'm a fantastic guy and a really wonderful rabbi and I'd love to see you sit under my tutelage. That's not what he's saying. He's making grand claims, messianic claims about who he is. Now, there are 11 references to the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament, all right? So the Feast of Booths started in chapter 7, and um, it was a week-long celebration of God as the Lord and supplier of the harvest, this big celebration, and it signified also the wilderness wanderings of the Jews. 
I mean, if you're wandering around nomadically in tents, you don't have a very good agri- agricultural system, all right? So they're also celebrating being planted in the land, being um, situated uh, in a land that's subdued enough where they are now farming and they're an agricultural uh, society and so on. Uh, you remember when they're not in um, the land of promise, they're in tents moving around. And so in the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, what they would do, I told you this before, but they would build these little, in fact, they still do it. They build these little shelters and now it's kind of kitschy and fun. They build these little shelters and uh, they go eat out there. And what they would do back then is they would go eat out their meals out there in these little shelters, these little tent things. They kind of decorate them up uh, or visitors would come in town and the visitors would stay in those tents. And it was reminding them of the tabernacles, not the tabernacles, the tents, and the moving around of the tabernacle with the tents around it, the wilderness wandering. So they're celebrating the harvest, also celebrating being in the land, situated, no longer wandering around, and the people eat together and so on. And so, according to Jewish history, it's pretty interesting, Three daily ceremonies happen during the big feast, the Feast of Booths, okay? Which, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's either on the last day of the Feast of Booths or pretty darn close near after, okay? So um, he, he's, the context is coming right off the heels of that. Um, so every morning, here's thing number one that would happen. Every morning, the priests before dawn, they would go out and they would announce, as for us, I, our eyes are turned toward the Lord, all right, so that's one thing that priests would do every day, kind of a little ritual. As for us, our eyes are turned toward the Lord. They would say that every morning. Then there was another thing they would do. They would, uh, there were four huge pillars uh, that were lit every night in the temple court, in the women's court, uh, using the priests' old clothing as wicks. Isn't that kind of interesting? So they built these big four pillars, big tall pillars, 75 feet tall. And they would use the priest's old clothes as wicks, and they would light them up, and it would be this big torch, and it would light the area, and it would be this big dramatic thing with great ceremony and shofar blowing and all that stuff. And uh, they, would, they would then read Psalms 120 through Psalm 134, and there would be music and dancing and celebration, and that was the nighttime stuff that was happening. Kind of cool, eh? All right, the third thing that they would do was this. Um, the priests would bring out water in silver bowls, and they would pour it out with great ceremony um, to remember that it is God who sends the rain. And on the last day of the festival, remember the last day? It says, uh, uh, verse 37 of chapter, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Remember that? On the last day. Well, on the last day of the festival, here's what they would do. The priest would circle the altar seven times, and then they'd pour out the water, and with great pomp, they would shout, Hosanna, save now. Is that not something? Now, that is a context, um, and we can think about that feast. I mean, here is this big ritual, and then on the seventh day, it's the big thing, and they walk around, they pour out the water, and uh, Jesus says, um, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Um, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, that's a big claim. I mean, in the context of the whole, the context of the whole celebration, people understand, whoa, whoa, this Jesus is making a big claim about himself. Um, now, imagine Jesus at this feast. He doesn't want to be 
um, a spectacle, as it says in chapter 7, verse 10. Um, his brothers go uh, to the feast, um, and he goes up privately. And in verse 14 of chapter 7, it says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus goes up into the temple, begins, te- begins teaching. Now imagine what it would have been like for that to occur, Jesus saying, um, I am, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Would the first hearers have made that connection? You bet they would. You bet they would. You would they, they, they understood what Jesus is claiming. He's not just saying, I'm a pretty cool guy. Why don't you follow me And because I, I, I'm a celebrity. He, I understand that he's making messianic claims. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, do you not think they would have understood um, what was happening? You know, th- those, those four pillars, 75 feet tall, four of them, that's, that's a seven-story building. You know how, anybody ever been to Burning Man? Really? You're kidding me. No, not Birmingham. <laughs> the Strands have been to Burning Man? Oh, no, Burning Man. Okay, good. That, that was going to be a shocker. A shocker. You know what Burning Man is? You know, ask Joey about it. All the, all the celebrity people go to it. And, uh, but it's, it's this crazy thing out in the desert. Uh, it's a bunch of hippies. It's like Woodstock in the desert. And at the end, it's real kind of pagany and, and debaucherous. And at the end... They burn this big wooden strange man. Well, the burning man is only 40 feet high. That's the big thing. They burn the man at the end, the burning man, and then they all go home. Um, but these are 75 feet tall pillars burning. And here you have this Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Water, I'm the, I'm the water you want. Light, I'm the light you want. Now, application for your life. Once again, Jesus intentionally forces a judgment to, to be made. He forces a judgment. You know, I could say of myself, I am a man. I live in Memphis. I was born in the city of Chicago. I'm married to a woman named Tammy. All right, I've just said some stuff, but I've not forced you to a conclusion. You can believe me or not believe me, check my facts or not check my facts, but it's, not, it's no big deal. It doesn't impact your life. But if I say, I can flap my wings... And fly like a hawk, just by moving my arms. Well, now I've forced you to action. Because you have to decide, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Now that's nutty. That's either real, or the guy's crazy, or he's lying to me. I forced you to a decision. Okay, the other stuff, I'm married to Tammy. That doesn't bother you. But if I say I can fly like a hawk by flapping my arms, that, that does bother you. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing. He's making these grand claims. And, you know, the Bible and Jesus invite scrutiny. It's not a a faith question. I mean, it is a faith question. It's not a math equation. It's a faith question, not a math equation. So you're never going to get every little thing that you want to make your decision. You're going to have to exercise faith to believe in this Jesus. But if you're sitting out there and your heart is warmed to the gospel today... uh, Perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is blowing across your soul. Uh, If you're out there and you're questioning this Savior and maybe you've come to church for a million years and you just sat there to keep your wife happy and quiet. Um, Or or maybe, you know, you grew up in church and you've always done this thing and and you've you've felt it to be wanting and and, uh, you you don't really know if you know the Savior. Uh, Pray that God would move you unto himself. Would you do that? 
Just pray that God would warm your heart and draw you unto him uh, because uh, you're never going to have evidence between, beyond a shadow of a doubt so you can go, ah, yes, 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 I believe in Jesus. Um, but you do have these grand claims. And just like, uh, just like me flapping my wings, it's either real or Jesus is lying to you or he's nuts. But he forces you to a decision. So pray that God will give you the grace to see what's true and uh, the grace to receive what's true. All right, next point, walking in darkness. Throughout the Bible, um, it makes parallels about human beings and the problem of darkness. Um, Here's um, Psalm 82, verse 5, concerning the weak and the needy. Listen, Um, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. You see the problem of darkness? And you know, in our passage here, uh, where are we? Hold on a sec. Uh, in our passage, Jesus speaks to them. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Right? So that there's a darkness issue that Jesus is referring to. And part of it means uh, being, uh, not having knowledge, as I just read from Psalm 82. In Micah, uh, it talks about God holding back his guidance. It shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. So you get it? Those two passages show that darkness is equated in the Bible with not knowing, with ignorance, with being left out, with God not communicating to the people, with them groping around and not understanding, a lack of knowledge. That's a problem of darkness, That's the first bleak picture, uh, ignorance. Here's the second one. Uh, It's an indictment of evil, the idea of darkness. Proverbs 2.13 talks of those with perverted speech. Uh, They forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil. So darkness scripturally is is a word used to describe ignorance, but also evil, wrongdoing. Um, Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Or in uh, the Gospel of John here in uh, chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light. That's that's how the the, the Bible uses the word darkness. Um, Ignorance, but also evil, wrongdoing. Right? Uh, Here's a third one. Um... Sin makes you sad. Um, Isaiah 8.22, those under God's judgment will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Sin makes you sad. How about this Isaiah 59.9? Justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold, only darkness. We hope for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Sin, darkness, causes sadness. Sin is the, is the reason there is misery. Why is the, is the world so miserable? Why are these people so miserable? Why are these miserable things ha- happening? Because of sin. Because darkness is in the world, that's why. And lastly this, when the, when the Bible uses the, the, the idea of darkness, it, it, it does so making us the objects of God's wrath. If you're a child of darkness, you're a child of God's wrath. 
And that is a hard teaching. First Sam, second, uh, First Sam 2, uh, God will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. That's a problem of sin, problem of darkness. Uh, makes you objects of God's wrath. Now, apply this to our lives. Let's do that. Um, you're about to sing a song, Jesus, my great high priest. And it's kind of cool that we just happen to have that song in there. I mean, I mean, I planned that a month ago, and uh, here it, it connects to this message uh, rather well. Um, um, uh, the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Thunder. Well, this is so cool. You're about to sing this in, in next hour. My advocate appears for my defense on high. I've got a defense attorney. It's Jesus. The father bows his ear and lays his thunder by. Where do you think that comes from? God lays his thunder aside because of the advocate, Jesus. Here's the solution. Not all that hell or sin can say shall turn his heart his love away. I mean, that's what Jesus offers, that God turns his thunder aside. Why? Why does God turn his thunder off of a child of wrath? Why? Because his thunder has been poured out on another on a cross. His thunder fell on Jesus. His thunder punished Jesus. Jesus' blood paid the sin debt and quenched the thunder so that God doesn't thunder on his children anymore. No longer children of darkness and wrath and ignorance and evil, but children of light. Children brought to a table, even made adopted children. What a, what a thing is offered us in the Savior. All right, that brings us to our last point, the light of life. Uh, first, uh, we, we, we see that life is, again, uh, light is, again, uh, equated with life. Uh, And that should have a familiar ring to it. You know, at the the very beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, just the first few verses, it says of Jesus, this mysterious person, in the beginning was the Word with a capital W. Oh, who's this weird person with the Word? Um, Mysterious. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Nothing was made uh, that wasn't made through him, this mysterious word figure. Now, later in the chapter, John tells us it's Jesus, all right? So it's not hard to figure out. But it says of this person, this word personified, this Jesus, it says of him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see that the whole gospel is, is encased in this light-darkness theme. I mean, even from this, 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 this epic beginning of the gospel of John that parallels creation itself, I mean, light and darkness are, are still there, just like light and darkness of creation. Um, light and life uh, belong together redemptively, light and life. Um, have you forgotten your Christmas song? Um, Hark the herald angels sing, glory, da, 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 da. right? Sing it every year. Good Christmas song. Well, I just said that light and life belong together redemptively. I just read about uh, light and life. In Jesus was life. The life was the light of men. In our passage today, it's the light of life. Light and life are brought together redemptively. 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. You ever notice that before? Light and life. That's redemption. Oh, and by the way, something else cool in that song, and I remember we talked about it once. Um, Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Every year, every year, every year, somebody goes, ah, I think that's supposed to be S-O-N. Son of righteousness. On the screens it says S-U-N. Should be son like Jesus. I'm like, yeah, except for the Bible verse. Um, (laughs) It's a good thought. It's a good thought. But if you go to Malachi, the Italian prophet... um, (laughs) It says, uh, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant uh, and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, shall, the Lord shall set them ablaze, um, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, risen with healing in his wings. The sun of righteousness rises. And you go leaping like calves from the stall. When Jesus describes himself uh, in, in terms of morally holy light, it could not be more clear to those back then and hopefully to us now that, that to believe in Jesus as Savior is to believe in Jesus as God. Jesus does not categorize himself Oops, as light. I'm doing that every week now. Uh, Jesus does not, thank you, and you're doing that every week too. Thank you. It's a good little system. He doesn't categorize himself as light. He doesn't say, I'm a light. It's a dark world out there, and I'm a light, and I can light the way for you. Follow me. He doesn't say, he says, I am the light. I'm it. I am the light. I'm the one way. Do you know that the son of righteousness in Malachi can also be translated son of vindication or son of justice. Or here's a version, victory will rise on you. Here's another one. My saving power will rise on you. The son of righteousness, the son of vindication, the son of victory, um, the son of justice. The need for a saving power because God is going to judge. Jesus is going to judge. That great day is going to come, and the point is that if you'll, be, if you'll be in Jesus, you're going to be okay on the last day, and the son of righteousness will be a beautiful thing. Now, I'll close with this. I, um, I told this years and years ago, but Tammy and I were just talking about this and thinking about it on the, on the road recently. When I was in high school, my sophomore, junior, and senior years in high school, there were these funky dudes you know, back when, you know, white socks were this high and shorts were this high and, uh, you know, everything was funky in the 70s. Well, there were these two senior high leader guys uh, that, that would take long-distance bike trips. And it was so cool, man. You know, we were, we were all in the Chicago area, the northwest suburbs, and they would take 20 of us. I think there were 20 of us and two leaders, guys and girls, mostly guys, but about a third girls. And they would take our 10-speed bikes, put them in a trailer, take them up to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and then we'd go up in vans to La Crosse, Wisconsin. We'd get our bikes, and we'd ride down to Lake Geneva over about five or six days. We'd go like 50 miles a day. 
and the van, the van would go ahead, and they would set up the campgrounds, and we would eat outside. It was really cool because you were outside every single minute of the day for all those days. And so you go on these bike trips, and it was so cool because you'd go to you go to a little country. You know, you, when your water bottle was empty, you'd go to a farmhouse and go, "Hey, can I, I get my water bottle?" And by the way, roadkill. You know how much roadkill there is. I mean, you know, when you're going 60 miles an hour, vroom, but when you're going, ha, ha, that stinks. There's another one. There's another one. There's another one. I mean, there's roadkill everywhere, just over and over again. Anyway, all to say, what was my point? Yeah. All to say, one of the cool things about this, this trip was there were these old uh, train tunnels, and occasionally you'd go from uh, some, you know, Wisconsin rolling hill to some flat uh, uh, old train line, that thing that's now paved over, and there would be like a three-quarter mile long tunnel through a hill, mountain thing. And you'd go in there, and it'd be hot outside, and it was instantly cold inside. And, uh, you know, everybody would get off their bikes because it is just pitch black in there. And, uh, you know, when you're walking your bike, and uh, you try to ride it, every single one of us fell more than once. Every single one of us. You could not ride it in there. It was just pitch black. And even if you had, like I did, one of those things where you would flip it on your wheel and it was like a generator, you had a little light here. You know, ever had one of those? If you shined it this way, it just vanished. It was just pitch black. It didn't do anything. It didn't illuminate anything. It just got lost in the darkness. If you shine it right before your wheel, you'd ride and you'd be like, eh, uh, eh, eh. but you had no reference point. If, however, three quarters of a mile down there, if you stared at that tiny little light, if you just stared at it, and he went, okay, Jim, you, you can do this. Stare at the light. Start pedaling. If you did that, and if you kept your focus, you, you could do it, and you wouldn't hit anything. If you, if you freaked out, oh, I'm getting a little nervous. Oh, my, I guess I'm going to look over here. Bam, you're down on the ground and in the puddle of the water that's flowing on the sides. But if you stared at the light, if you focused on the light, the light, the light, the light, the light, your way would be straight. If you are in a battle of faith in your soul, Christian, and I'm preaching to me first and all of us next, head for the light. Just aim at the light. Aim at the light, the light, the light who is Christ. Focus. Don't be scared. Aim at the light. Aim at the light. Aim at the light. If you're despondent and you don't know how you can make it through another day, sore soul out there, just aim at the light who is Christ. Aim at the light, the light, the light. And if you're a searching person and you're not so sure about this weird Christianity business, that's okay. Um, Aim at the light. Uh, Pray about the light. Ask God to show you the light. Ask God to warm your heart to the light. Uh, Stare at the light. It's the answer that every single one of us is searching for. Jesus says, I am the light. Uh, Look to him. Lord, um, I am at the front of the line on that. Um, We all um, want to take control of our own situations. We all want to... um, know everything and know the future. We can't. We have to rely on you. Oh, Christ, thank you for coming and dying in my place, our place, the sinner's place. Thank you that God's thunder has been laid by because um, it has been poured out on you. 
And thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you have, uh, by your work on that cross, made it possible for children of darkness to move into a dominion of light, even at a banquet table with a Father who pours out all good blessings. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.